Welcome back, everybody. We're here on a very special episode of Other Duties as Assigned. We have a colleague of mine, a friend, Joey Waugh, athletic training extraordinaire, coming in to join uh, Patrick and I today. Joey, tell us about yourself. Tell us how you got to be at Marshall, um, kind of where you started your career and, and where you're at now. First of all, thanks for letting me come on. I really have enjoyed, you know, since getting to know you, Scott, and uh, really enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts. I find them very informative. Some of them uh, have been some really awesome to No, <laughs> I really have. I honestly have. It's kind of funny. Athletic trainer, listen to equipment guys, but you guys uh, do a lot and appreciate you kind of letting me come on National Athletic Trainers Association Month. The month of March, so that's pretty yeah. cool. But I'm uh, originally uh, from Huntington, West Virginia, but I grew up most of uh, my life in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm still really reeling from the Cincinnati Bengals loss. It's been tough. Yeah. Um, never thought I'd see a Bengals playoff game, let alone a, a playoff win, let alone a Super Bowl. But um, I'm still reeling for that one. But uh, went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and uh, double majored, got a major in uh, kinesiology and health, and another major in athletic training, two bachelor's degrees, and then I went on uh, from there to Southeast Missouri State University, where I got a master's degree in education administration. Um, I think uh, starting out, I really, in life, I wanted to be a physical therapist, but then I got to working with physical therapy and saw some things that uh, I couldn't see myself doing as such as working in a clinic all day and um, dealing with insurance companies and getting reimbursements there. So I really wanted to be a part of a team and work with uh, young athletes who have a desire to try to compete and go win championships. So fell in love with athletic training, been doing that um, ever since 2016. It's been a couple years at Southeast Missouri State with their football program after I was done with Miami and did an internship there. And then I've uh, been at Marshall. This will be my uh, fourth year um, here next month um, with the Thundering Herd. So uh, I've really enjoyed it. Really love uh, working with, uh, you know, young student athletes at the collegiate level, Division One level, trying to go win a championship and uh, really enjoy taking care of those guys. Yeah, I mean, first first thing I want to say is I'm sorry that you have to work with Scott. I know that you can say that you have enjoyed getting to know him, but I know he can be a pain sometimes because I've yeah. had him working for me before. Um, but no, it's great. I know we, we've been talking since we started this about wanting to have other departments come on and, and talk with us. And honestly, outside of cause and SID, I think you're one of the first ones. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's awesome to have you, you know, we've all as equipment managers, we obviously interact with you guys on a daily basis and, you know, working together and finding that kind of symmetry and, you know, getting along. It's, it's really a good thing because we've all had situations and this is obviously nothing against you, but you've all had situations where either the training staff doesn't like your equipment managers or vice versa. And yeah, it makes a big difference if, you know, you guys get all on the same page and absolutely because I mean, we're all trying to achieve the same goal and we want to stay in the background as much as possible and not be, you know, if you're not getting yelled up by the coach, then you're probably doing something right. You know, it's yeah. kind of what it seems like. So yeah. Scott laughs, but I mean, Scott, am I wrong here? No, I just laughed because I was like, well, sometimes you're still not doing anything wrong and you're still getting yelled at, but <laughs> um, it happens. But no, it's you hit the nail on the head. We need to uh, work more closely with athletic trainers. We've done a really good job of that at Marshall. Um, sometimes it's not the best place to be as the training room because there's, there's another guy that works in there that has really awful takes. Sean um, says yeah. a lot of dumb stuff, but Joey yeah. – Jared, the other full-time athletic trainer, and and I try to try to bring him back down to earth. But other than that, it's a great place to to hang out. Um, we have any downtime, but also we we go in there and we'll spitball ideas and injury stuff um, off of each other, and and we work towards the same goal of they're you know helping us with injury prevention and and getting guys back on the field. So 
if if we work well together, the team is better for it. And and I think we've we've seen seen that in in our professional sense. It's been fun, but we um, no, we do get along. We have a lot of fun. It was National Athletic Trainers Month, so we needed to needed to have an athletic trainer on here and, and try to stop the hate. Although we're probably off to a poor start because Joey's sitting here and he's looking at behind Patrick's head. There's an appy uh, tapestry, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So oh, that's there's yeah. a Cincinnati one too, in case. You oh, know. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Bearcats. Apparently, Cincinnati's a top tier program. Uh, <laughs> so. Listen, but, I worked uh, there. They're close, but they are not. Yeah. You heard it here, Sean wow. Adams. You heard it here. That's uh, that's one of our hot takes from the room. So they they go all over the place in a thousand directions, usually every day. But, he's not ready to talk. To, <laughs> he's not ready to have a conversation with me. No, no, we we are keeping you two separated uh, <laughs> as as long as we can. Uh, but no, I mean, you're 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 100 right, Joey. You've been in this this uh, at Marshall. I I rely on Joey for a lot of my Marshall history because he he doesn't understand. You know, there are programs whose history is better, like uh, Georgia Southern, but there is a great history at Marshall, and Joey's my Marshall historian, being a Huntington, you know, native. So I, I bounce a lot of stuff off of him. But, Joey, what would you say, whether it be uh, – well, give us both. What's your – as a fan and then as an employee, what have been your best memories with with the herd? And, and if, you've got a, if you've got a story that's better than – then your time working with Marshall, maybe from Southeast Missouri or Miami, what's been your favorite memories as an athletic trainer? Uh, I think definitely from a Marshall fandom, I think, uh, I forget what year it was. It was early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, we went down to number six, Kansas State Wildcats and, and beat them in, uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. And that was a really uh, huge, huge win for Marshall. I think it was one of the top um, ranked teams, uh, biggest teams that they upset. So from a fandom, that was, uh, for me. And, you know, I, I don't really have a favorite memory, uh, from, uh, you know, a specific event or a uh, game through athletic training, but, uh, and I know it kind of sounds cliche, but I kind of, I kind of find enjoyment. And, uh, when a student athlete goes through a rough injury and has a rough physical time and a mental time, trying to get over that injury and actually seeing them get back on the field. Um, I think, uh, you know, one time there was a, there was a kid when I worked baseball, he went through Tommy John and, you know, 16 month and, uh, you know, rehab process there and to actually see him go out on the mound uh, on a Friday night. Uh, that's a really cool feeling. So I think those feelings kind of stick out to me more than wins or losses or big games or whatever, but um I enjoy those the most. Well, and I'll say I definitely, I mean, I've been around this profession now for, you know, over a decade, but I've spent probably more time in the training room here than I have anywhere else. So it's given me a newfound appreciation for it. You always talk about like kids coming back from injuries or crazy things that happen to them and you always feel good for them. And I mean, everybody watched, um, who was it this year? Was it Mancini came back from cancer? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's there's always feel-good stories in sports like that. But being in the training room a lot now, I can see how that would have that much more of an impact on you guys because you're there every day. You're helping them get back to that. And it's um, you may not do the surgery, but, you know, when you're doing the rehab and stuff, you're talking to these kids and trying to keep their mindset right. And we all know there's kids who will come in every day. Um, we got one in there right now who – Y'all probably see more of than you really want to. Um, usually, he doesn't have a shirt on, so everyone that's in Marshall knows what I'm talking about right now. But it's uh, you see that kid every day, and he's working hard. And then you have some that you really got to pull him out of bed. You got to make him come to treatment. You got to try to do what's best for the kid, even if they're not willing to do it themselves. So yeah. that's it's given me a newfound appreciation for your profession. And uh, yeah, those moments have to be. Yeah, I mean that's better than any win or loss. I mean. You you talk about getting to getting to get a kid healthy and not just back on the field, but give them some kind of quality yeah. of life after this. I mean, you really talk about support staffs, uh, you know, athletic training, sports medicine, uh, equipment staffs. I would argue as well, and um, academics. Those three support staffs really interact daily with the student athlete, um, outside of the coaches, obviously. So yeah. <laughs> we uh, 
you know, we're not coaches, obviously, so we see a different side of them and see a little bit more of a human side of them and can interact with them. Um, and they go through a lot. They really do. Uh, you know, it, it can take a mental toll. So sometimes equipment managers in, in different places and athletic trainers almost act as uh, counselors or advisors uh, to some as some kids will open up differently to, to different people. So that's another thing where it kind of bridges the gap between athletic training and equipment, not necessarily, you know, going in depth to a lot of mental health issues, but, uh, you know, yeah. we, we, we constantly, uh, are around these kids and, um, sometimes they come to us with different things. Yeah. I mean, we, <clears throat> not only do we have what I used to call the therapy couch for anybody else within the athletic department in the equipment room, anybody else that needs to come down and vent, that's where they go to, they go to the equipment manager, but it seems like more and more you're seeing student athletes come in, and like you said, you're seeing truly a different side of, of what you consider a student athlete. It's not it's not a football player. It's it's just a young kid coming in, yeah. telling telling you about what they have going on. And yeah. you really, like you said, you get to see a different different part of their personality, just a different mindset. I think between those two departments, between you know training staff and and equipment we really truly get to see what type of person they are. And that's why whenever NFL scouts come through, they talk to the coaching staff, they talk to the training staff and they talk to the equipment managers. Cause they want to know what that kid's like in the locker room, what he's, you know, what he's like away from the X's and O's. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I think that carries a lot of weight. And, and the tough part too, is like with modern day college athletics, it's overlooked, but our jobs, you know, we rely on student athletes to exist for us to have jobs, yes, but the wins and losses don't really matter for us so much. We're not, you know, hired and fired with with a coach. So it's a different relationship where these coaches need them, you know, to perform. We just need them to exist. So a lot of times I feel like with modern day transfer portal and stuff, I mean, half of that is kids – seeking other opportunities, which is the way it's, you know, pursued in, in media, obviously. But the other half is kids being forced out and, you know, we're going to take your scholarship after this year. So you're going to, you know, stay here, but you have a spot on the team, but you're not going to be on scholarship. Well, kids can't afford school. They got to find another home. So with that, it's hard on the staffs, like, like our staff, training staff, academics, heck at Marshall, at least our recruiting staff is very much a, a therapy couch, uh, type vibe they they really interact with these athletes a lot which is i don't know if it's common at other places but by nature you would think once they're on campus recruiting's kind of checked out but ours is not they're very very close to these athletes so it's hard you know you see these kids enter the portal and uh some of them you, you really build these bonds with and you've helped them mentally um through conversations and just being a, a ear for them so it's um it's a unique dynamic now but I mean, I like it. I like that we're able to be there for them because they're the reason we got into this. And I mean, for me, at least, it was one of the big reasons I chose to go back to college and not try to stay in the NFL and make a career up there. Um, but the, the student athlete experience is something that it's being diluted a lot um, now. And, and so these kids more than ever, as they don't get NIL deals or, or get scholarships pulled, they need you know strong support staffs who are, who are going to be there for them. Absolutely. What would you say, you know, I mean, obviously to get into a little bit more of like an in-depth question is one of the most difficult things that you guys experience kind of on a daily basis that, you know, whether it be setting up treatment schedules, dealing with an injured player who honestly doesn't want to come in and do treatment because mm -hmm. there are those guys that, yeah. oh, well, I don't, I don't need to come in or, you know, could be getting somebody back on the field or just dealing with the coach who's like, Hey, why is it taking so long for this, this guy to get healthy, whatever it may be. But like, what would you say is kind of like your biggest hurdle on a really day-to-day uh, -day basis? The biggest hurdle for me on a day-to-day -day basis is there's not enough hours in the day. There's not eight days a week. And, uh, it is, uh, college athletics is a grind. I mean, an absolute grind and athletics in general, uh, is a grind, but especially, you know, at, at the division one level and the expectations that are placed and how you work around the clock. Um, so as it's funny, uh, you know, I'm an athletic trainer, uh, work with uh, sports medicine. So I'm all about health and, and uh, what can I do to do everything possible to 
take care of our student athletes the best way possible uh, and have them uh, compete safely and effectively. Um, but I often neglect to have time for myself. <laughs> so I'm too busy taking care of others and don't have really time to take care of myself. So I, you know, honestly, the biggest struggle for me is, is, is the amount of time and work that goes into it. And there is no off season. Um, I like being in season more because you almost have more off time than you do in the off season, if that makes sense. Um, so I think that's the biggest hurdle uh, that uh, you face right now within uh, the climate and which, where we're going now. I love uh, hard work and I love to work. Um, in fact, you know, I've only been doing this since 2016, but I feel like I've never actually worked a day in my life because I've never dreaded going to work at all. But um, sometimes when you wake up, get in at 4.30 a.m. and it's 5 p.m. and you still have X, Y, Z to do, and then only to wake up the next day and repeat it and do it all over again, sometimes that that, that takes a toll on you. Yeah, I mean, you have your checklist and you, you get done what you can and just add to it for the next day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, for, for you guys too, I mean... <sighs> our job shifts a lot in the off season and there's a lot of different things to get ready for or try to prepare for. But for you guys, it seems like the training room explodes once the season ends. Cause there's all those injuries that guys are just playing through and then they'll get the surgery after the season or, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody cause I didn't want to get shut down. So now the bowl game's over. Let me tell them this has yeah. been hurting for a while. So it seems like the amount of guys in the training room that you're doing treatment for just explodes once the season ends. So, so you, you don't really get to, to sit back and relax. And I know there's times that I'll go in there, you know, when I get to work and you guys are already in there doing treatment or I'll go in, you know, around lunch, see if y'all want anything and you're full training room full of treatment. And then at the end of the day, it's the same thing. So it's, it's crazy just how college athletics has turned and, and we've talked a little bit about it on here and in the uh, training room, obviously, but there's, there's no off season like you have with the NFL when the facility's kind of dead and people are taking time off because everyone's on quote unquote vacation. It's a year round schedule with no uh, players don't have a CBA, you know, so there's no, there's no bargaining to get the players time off. So we're in there all the time. And um, yeah, the sports staffs are really the ones that, that keep that show running um, especially this week, uh, it's spring break here. So coaches are out, players are out. It's kind of quiet for once. It's been nice, but you know, we've been hard at work and they've had a few injured guys in that, that have st stayed in town that they've been doing treatment for. And they've been helping the equipment staff get some stuff done for our spring sales. So we've been, uh, we've all been hanging out a good bit, but it's, it's still there's, we're, we're in the office and the expectation is that we're in the office. So there's no real downtime there. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I really, I really enjoy that. That's part of the. Um, I've got to stay busy. I've got to constantly be doing something. Um, and I, I couldn't imagine working a nine to five job. But, you know, you know, looking at, I, I know. My profession in the athletic training, and I'm sure it's true for a lot of equipment managers. There's a lot of people are getting burnt out, and not, and not uh, a lot of good athletic trainers are leaving the profession and doing other things and um which is kind of unfortunate and sad to see yeah i mean equipment it's pretty much everybody in equipment you're done with it you usually go to sales of some sort usually mm -hmm. athletic sales but this job one thing it does prepare us for is we talk to a lot of vendors and we talk to a lot of people players coaches everything so we get people skills we can talk to people so that's naturally where we go it seems like athletic trainers if it's not medical sales medical equipment sales it's um, clinics and you're going into, I'm just yeah. going to go work at the hospital, clock a nine to five, see my patients and leave. So it's definitely different. And, you know, as people progress through, through both of our professions and get older and get families and everything, priorities change. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think you're going to see, at least from an equipment standpoint, maybe you'll know whether athletic training is moving this way too, but I think the equipment profession is just going to get younger and younger. Because the people who want to have families and get older are just going to say, you know, to hell with this, with the schedule and everything else. And I really, I really think where when I got into it, it seemed like all the head equipment guys, at, at least at big places, recognizable brands, they were all older, 40s and 50s and 60s. I think in 10 years, 
all those head guys are going to be in their early 30s, you know, late 30s max. I think I think a lot of people by the time they get 40 are going to be out of this. Don't say that, Scott. You're going to have to retire soon, bud. <laughs> I mean, I told you, lifer, man, not going anywhere. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm not that old. Thank you. My my kids like to like to poke fun, but I'm not that old. 31. My gosh. My gosh. Well, Pat, let's take it to a break, and we'll we'll be back before we get too uh, too much of a, a downhill spiral about my age. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, we'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. Still here with Joey and Scott. Uh, first thing, Joey, I want to get into is the uh, sports meds relationship with strength and conditioning. I know you guys have to obviously deal with them a lot whenever you're rehabbing players and uh, going through treatments. And, uh, you know, the other thing that we had kind of talked about right before break was um, injured players in season. We used to have a thing and at, you know, every school has a different name for it. We used to call it muscle beach, but to continue to work players out, keep their strength up and, essentially rehab these guys during practice. I know strength conditioning has a lot to do with that. So why don't you just, if you could explain, you know, those interactions and how often you really have to interact with, with uh, strength conditioning. Uh, It's huge to be on the same page with uh, our strength coaches and strength conditioning. Luckily uh, in, in my career, uh, I've had all had really good strength coaches and, been able to build uh, good relationships with them, but you know, you know, we kind of went, went back to what we were talking about before. We're all in it for the same thing. We're in it for the student athletes and see them to succeed. So it's really important that we all pull the rope in the same direction. And uh, you know, strength coaches are a different type of uh, people. Uh, they're uh, really typically high energy and up in your face and confrontational, and they're they all everyone that I've worked with has been really good and receptive to, all right, here's somebody who has an injury. How can we modify them? So we're still putting them through the same workload, but we're not making that injury any worse or uh, putting any pressure on that uh, side of the body or anything like that. So uh, you've got to be able to be open and and communicate with them and, and have an honest conversation with them when you think, ah, that's maybe a little bit too much. Uh, how about this? Or can you give me another uh, a way about doing things? And uh, all the strength coaches I've worked with have been very good about modifying uh, student athletes. Um, we have a, a Marshall and, and Southeast Missouri. When, when I was there, we had like a pit. So somebody had a hamstring injury or, um, you know, a hip flexor or something like that. They're still going through the practice and getting that cardiovascular workout and, and, they're not just sitting over there on the side. Uh, they're still getting something out of the practice where they're able to move forward, but um, not necessarily be in jeopardy of making an injury worse. So <clears throat> long story short, I, I just think it's really important, you know, you know, equipment managers and staff too, um, everybody just be on the same page and pull the rope in the same direction in order to have your organization move forward. And you kind of got to throw egos aside and and realize that we're all in this together and we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And um, I think that's really important through all of the support staffs within athletics, specifically with strength, athletic training and sports medicine and uh, and equipment. Would you yeah. say that the, the stuff that happens in Pitt, um, Muscle Beach, whatever you want to call it, do you say that's more, it's less on the rehab side of things, it's not making the injury better? but it's more on once they're done with rehab and the injury is better, they're still in or at least closer to playing shape. Is it more of just keeping them in physical shape and, and that it is rehabbing the affected area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that is interesting that some schools did and, and Miami uh, had this is they had a dual credential. So they had a guy that had an ATC, which is Certified Athletic Trainer, and a CSCS with the Certified Strength and Conditioning uh, Specialist. And they worked with, they were a strength coach, but they were also an athletic trainer, and they could work with the post-operative athletes uh, yeah. during practice up in the weight room where um, 
they were doing some different things and, and had a little bit more knowledge on the um, sports medicine aspect of it. Um, so the pit in general, I think, is more for Muscle Beach, is more for the people that have the hamstrings or uh, maybe a turf toe injury, something like that, where we can still work them up in the upper body uh, and keep them in plain shape. That way, when they do come back from the injury, um, they can they haven't missed a beat in their conditioning level. Whereas somebody who has an ACL just had surgery, we can't put them through that. Uh, we don't want to want want to put them through that. We want to want to have them more go off to the side and get individualized attention one on one. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. With um, with those certifications you touched on, um, kind of explain. What is, what's the process for getting certified? I know it's changed recently um, for athletic trainers, but what's, what was kind of the process now um, for athletic training, getting certified in that? It'll be good to, for our listeners to hear, especially the equipment guys, how that's different from, from what we do and how is, how is maybe the NATA different from AEMA on how they handle certification and staying certified? Yeah. So uh, with, when I went through school, uh, all you had to do is get a bachelor's degree and then set for your uh, board's exam, uh, board, BOC it's called. Um, now, uh, the profession uh, has kind of pushed more towards the physical therapy side of it, and they now require you to get your master's degree. Now, physical therapy, to be a physical therapist, you had to get your master's degree. Now, you have to get your doctorate. So they've just kind of advanced that along uh, with sports medicine um, as well. So you would go uh, right now, currently get your bachelor's in pre-athletic training, uh, kinesiology, a lot of exercise science courses, anatomy, stuff like that. And then you would go to a uh, two-year professional program uh, to obtain your master's degree. After you graduate from a Katie, it's called a Katie Accreditations of Athletic Training uh, Education. Once you... Uh, go through one of those um, accredited programs. Not every school has an athletic training degree, but w- when you go to a school that is uh, KD certified, you can set for the board of certification exam, and it's a, it's a computer test. I forget how many questions is on it. It used to be like a practicum or practical, but now it's kind of with technology, it's moved towards a computer-based exam you kind of go to the same place where you get the GRE and different things like that. Take that exam um, and, and you get certified uh, if you pass it. Um, different programs uh, in colleges, uh, they have to have a, a certain level of first-time pass rates in order to keep their certification to teach athletic training. Um, so that is... Uh, really important to go to a school where they have a really good program to so you can get over with past the first time and um you know while you're in school you have to do a lot of clinical hours so you go to area high schools um sports medicine clinics physical therapy clinics um the collegiate setting and you really kind of job shadow preceptors um and i'm a preceptor for our athletic training students at marshall um so after that, after you get your, uh, you know, graduate and, and get and pass the BOC, you're certified. And every two years we have to do uh, continuing education units. We have 50 that we have to complete. Um, so you can go to conferences or go to different talks. You can present as a presenter and get approved to uh, get those hours. And uh, uh, every, every two years you got to submit 50 continuing education units. Right now you have to have 10 that are evidence-based practice which is a little bit harder to kind of obtain and it's a little bit more in depth, but, uh, it, you know, there, it can be a pain, but it also, honestly, it, it really does help, um, you stay relevant and on top of things and really kind of grow in the profession instead of just kind of staying where you're at. It's really important to kind of get those and, and gain your knowledge. So I, I have enjoyed them. I know some conferences, it seems like in different, um, professions, it's a joke. It's just the, go down there and party but uh i really honestly enjoy getting to hear some of the speakers um uh, i went to a conference uh, a couple years ago this i guess it was before covid and the guy that worked with uh the indiana pacers for so many years and he was talking about reggie miller and how he he dealt with some injuries and he was a 
big uh, low back uh, specialist and, and really um, kind of made his living on SI joint dysfunction. And uh, it's really cool to hear from older people in the profession who have been there, done that and, and hear new ideas and kind of take that and add to your arsenal of things. Well, and it's, it's a big, the biggest difference to me between our organizations has been the, the credibility. I mean, whatever it is, maybe it's because, you know, the high schools have to have them and you've got a lot more of them or, you know, whatever it could be, but there's, you know, strength in numbers there, but the, the credibility of the NATA certainly has been far more advanced, um, than, than what the AEMA has. Maybe they had a, a quicker jump on it and we've, we're not as old of an organization. I don't know, but it's um, it's remarkable to see all the requirements and laws around. You've got to have um, so many athletic trainers per athletes. You've got to have one at all these events. Da 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 for it to be sanctioned. So it's it's impressive what your organization's been able to do. I mean, we have continuing education units as well. They're a little a little different, um, but but similar in that you know you can go to speakers and you can do things like that. But um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just just the the similarities are there, but but the the differences I think are, are pretty pretty damning in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, th- another thing I forgot to mention is uh, in every state you have to get a a license, and through West Virginia, which where I'm at now, is where you have to go through the physical therapy board and and get your license to practice in each state, and you got to keep up that license and get a background check and and go through there. And different states have different laws and. And, and what you can and can't do. I mean, obviously, as an athletic trainer, we're not doctors. I, I like to think that we are medical health care providers that act underneath a physician, a team physician. Um, and we follow what uh, our team physicians uh, say and, and act as uh, extenders to, to them. But uh, that's another part of it, too, is you got to keep a license, which can be a pain sometimes uh, trying to keep a license in different states and pay for that every other year and whatnot. But that Does this will the school pay for that at some schools? Would they, yeah, in, in most, terms of like maintaining certification and in doing yeah. those types of licensing? Yeah, most schools um, pay for that. So, uh, every school I've been at, they've paid for me to get my uh, American Red Cross uh, first aid CPR every two years and get my license renewed every two years and get all of my continuing education uh, credits and so I can renew my certification. Um, and most, I think most schools at the, in the collegiate level are willing to do that. I, I think probably it depends on what company you work at. If you work out of high school or a clinic, if they, if they give you some money there for that, but typically, yeah, that's the, that's the standard. Yeah. I mean, I, the only reason I ask is, you know, in order to go to convention and get, you know, the, honestly, the vast majority of your CEUs for equipment managers. Yeah. It's. At, at minimum reimbursed by the university mm-hmm. and which is the same as you know you sit down sit down to take the test a lot of schools will in order to get your certification they'll they'll pay for it the first time now if you if you don't pass then you know possibly you're on your own after that but a lot of places will at least pay that fee up front in order for you to get certified and it's it seems like it's becoming more of a common thing around a lot of other schools and I hope it does because where obviously having a certified athletic trainer, you physically have to have certified trainers where, you know, you can have GAs and student and student trainers and they have, obviously you have a need for them as well, but having somebody that's certified knows what they're doing and has proven that they know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it is an absolute necessity. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They are more than just tape jockeys. Who'd have thought? Water boys. Yeah. yeah. And girls. That's the one that bothers me, and I'm not even an athletic trainer, is when everybody keeps every couple of years it gets recirculated that NFL water boys make fifty three thousand yeah. dollars a year. It's like, come on. All right. Now I need your opinion on this and if you want I can cut it out later, but I need your opinion on this. The athlete because I'm not going to just say student athlete, the athlete that is too big time to actually touch the water bottle and requires you to squirt water in their mouth. How do you feel about that type of human being? 
<laughs> you know, I, I personally prefer it because I can control that it won't be thrown on the ground later at my feet. Uh, that's the thing that really uh, kind of annoys, I know, my students the most. You know, for me, in the heat of the game or whatever practice, you know, we're all moving fast. I don't really care too much, but I know our students kind of get offended. Oh, my gosh, he just threw that at my feet, and I have the rack right here. Why didn't he just hand it down? Um, so I kind of like to, to have control over it and, and keep it. And, but don't get mad at me if I accidentally spray some on your cheek. All I'm saying, and this is, this is a personal opinion and I've never been in a position where I've had to spray water into a grown human being, an adult's yeah. mouth before. Um, but you're an adult. You can yeah. take the water bottle squirt water into your mouth and either hand it back to the person who gave it to you. Or like you said, usually they're carrying around the little caddy, the little rack, little six yeah. pack, little six pack of water bottles. Just yeah. reach down and drop it right back. It's really not difficult. No. Yeah. Like you're, I, I you're not honestly, that freaking important. And no, I'm, and I'm honestly, being nice because I, I would go off on this stuff, but I, it bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. I've never thought about it, but now that Joey says it, like, He's right, and we, we, we just got done with our morning workout program, and one of the days, you know, the guys would kind of run down a long section of the field, um, and then they'd kind of walk the ends and then jog back or run down the, the opposite end, and we would sit there, and we would help out because, obviously, equipment, there's cones there, and then we were just kind of done, but we're there. So we'd grab water bottles and, and help out on those walking sections where the, where the players would walk to the other side before they run again. And so you're walking with them, handing them water bottles. But I do recall a couple times getting frustrated. Guys would open their mouth sometimes, and it was fine because I, I had the thought, oh, good, I'm going to get to hold on to this. Because nothing frustrated me more than when a guy would grab the water bottle and he'd start drinking water and you'd walk with him. And then he would get you know, 10, 15 yards down, he'd be done with it, and he'd just drop it and keep walking. And you're like, dude, because then you have to pick it back up. So I, I agree where that that's something that is it looks it looks very needy on tv but i can see where the athletic trainers would prefer it that way a lot of people too you know specifically in games i guess not in practices but wide receivers won't want to touch the water bottle or, or uh running backs because of their gloves they don't want to get the gloves wet well you guys carry a towel too it's okay yeah that's true I that's mean, true uh, honestly and you're like, blocking wet players you know be, be a, a freaking normal functioning human being. Like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honestly like I am, I, like He's so I hot actually, right I'm a little bit bothered right now. He's so hot. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's not a difficult thing. Like to, to be a human being and understand that if you drop a water bottle when there's somebody standing right next to you that handed it to you, you're a piece of shit. Like honestly, you are a terrible human being if you do that. Now I understand there's a difference. Like. Hey, if there's a sudden change and you know, if there's a turnover and you're drinking water and you got to run back on the field, maybe you drop it. I, I get that. That's fine. That's such an anomaly though, but it is so often that I see players do that. Or as we've been watching, you know, the, the conference championships for, for college basketball training staff will try to hand them water in a towel and it usually gets placed like right on their shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, I see guys just straight up ignore the trainer, and it's like, "Hey, Dick, <laughs> literally turn around and be like, no, man, I'm good." Because this, which anybody who's not actually seeing this right now, all I'm doing is turning my head to my left and holding my hand up, saying like, "No, I'm good." It's really not that hard it, like, to yeah. ignore that you are not that freaking important. You're a yeah. college athlete. You're a student athlete. You're not that big time. Just show some respect for the other people that are around you. It's really not that difficult. I get it. I get. I get that side. I also get. You know, I try to put myself in in their in their shoes sometimes, and not necessarily basketball players sitting on the on the bench, uh, just kind of ignoring you. But you know, if I was running gassers at six a.m. and I was just dead dog tired and I, hungover, yeah, I yeah. don't know. If, I don't know if I would like. Hey, here's your water bottle back. Thanks. Uh, yeah, but so I get, I don't, get it. Don't even say bit. anything. Just hand it. Like it's yeah. It's it's a motion instead of instead of just letting go, and just moving your fingers. You have to move your arm. It's really like honestly, it's not hard. Mm -hmm. It just I, like I could 
I could talk about this for probably hours and you'd just be like, listen, I understand. I do this every day. I know yeah. you're preaching yeah. to the choir here, Patrick. Like yeah. I, you're not going to get anywhere with this. It's just, it is like the most common courtesy thing to do is to just hand it back to the person. And it, it boggles my mind. Like I used to give players at other schools crap about it. I'm like, Oh, you're too big time to hand it back to the trainer. Like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Can you imagine Patrick in the training room when guys come in and just want a massage? <laughs> <laughs> there would be no patience for it whatsoever. No. That's why I didn't. I couldn't be a trainer. No, no shot. No shot. Every everybody would come in with injuries and and get turned away with here's some ice, suck it up. <laughs> well, there's a there's a difference there. Now, guys with injuries, like whenever your training staff comes to you and says like, "Hey, we need to put this cuff on somebody's shoulder pads." It's fine. I can do that. But don't do that. Don't do that to me like five minutes before practice starts because that's happened to me before. And I just look at them like, sure, I'll drill some holes in the shoulder pad real quick because, you know, I have all the time in the world. I'm not trying to get these guys out on the field. It's OK. It happened a couple times this year, but it, you can't get mad at uh, the athletic trainers because it's usually guys coming in right before. Well, right. well that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the guys. Just, Honestly, it's the student athlete's fault. It's not the trainer's fault because I know that they're not going to be so short-sighted to not give us a heads up on it, right? Because you you tend to have a good relationship. You see them all the time. We, you know, like Joey. I know you. Unfortunately, you have to see Scott multiple times a day, and that probably mm-hmm. sucks. But Joey loves me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard. By your by your facial expression, I can tell that you you don't love him. But yeah. it's okay. <laughs> I'm Joey's favorite person in the building, okay? Do you guys, um, when you are, you know, teaching your student uh, student athletic trainers and your your GAs, do you guys borrow equipment like helmets and shoulder pads from uh, the equipment staff and cut things up? And Yeah, so every year to- we do... Absolutely. Yeah. Every year we do a, uh, we do like a spine boarding lab and our, our team doctors will actually come out with us. And, you know, that's one thing that when we, we have decided with our team doctors that, you know, we don't think it's a necessarily a good thing to send somebody with a potential spinal cord injury into the emergency room with shoulder pads and a helmet on because those, uh, nurses, um, they lack the experience of dealing with that every day and we're around that every day. So we know, you know, this pin pops up this specific helmet. We can get the face mask off this way. You know, uh, this, all you have to do is, is, is uh, slide it off this way uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, we, we use, uh, utilize uh, equipment and, and we have some helmets, uh, each helmet we practice of how do we remove the face mask and, and and how to identify which helmet does what if we need to get an airway uh uh, we look at all the shoulder pads and see okay how's the best way to cut this and get this off if we need to um and we'll do that with uh everybody in sports medicine that way when it actually happens uh during a practice or a game it's not a freak out session oh we don't know what to do we don't know how this equipment works we need the equipment uh manager out there with us to do this we're already prepared and familiar with what we got and what we have to work with. And, um, you know, every practice we go out with the little push pins and the trainers angels and, and, and different things, but that's really important. That's a good thing you brought up is, is, is getting to know, um, how the, uh, equipment works and, and what type of equipment your specific school has. Yep. That, and that will give them credit too. Like it's not, it's not part of, it's not really why they do it, but those guys are, they're there, you know, when they get done with the last treatments and, and, you know, seeing guys after practice Thursday nights, we do helmet night and multiple times, it's not every time, um, not every week, but multiple times they would come out. They, you know, help take face masks off, do, do hardware checks. They would clean helmets, decal a helmet, whatever. The, our trainers here are very well versed in the helmets and the shoulder pads because they're just, hanging out with us when we're doing our job. So they, they're around it. And Jared did come this year. I remember in fall camp, y'all were going to do your lab there. And he came in and wanted one of all the helmets we had wanted, you know, basically our shoulder pads are all pretty much the same. We're a big Douglas school, but he wanted to see what we had make sure there wasn't anything weird with our shoulder pads. And y'all took 
took a pair of shoulder pads and took one of all of our helmets and and taught kids up. So, like you said, get to know all the equipment if you're an athletic trainer listening. Because to us, it's we work with it all the time and it's second nature. But yeah, it's um, it's good that that y'all are very very diligent about that here. And it doesn't matter what the injury is. Um, you could have you know something minor on the field, but it could just be a stinger. But if you don't know, kids 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 numb in his hand you gotta you gotta stabilize the neck and stuff and you never know what you're gonna have to do so it's good to always be ready for that um and yeah y'all y'all do a really good job of that here but um it's uh it's always a sore subject with equipment managers when things get cut we'll say that but we understand i have i have a story we 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 give I have plenty where Joey's looking at me like, don't you freaking do it. (laughs) And I know, I know his colleagues, if they listen to this, they're gonna be like, don't you freaking do it. But we, we give you grief, but we understand the necessity for it. And ultimately the bottom line is shoulder pads and jerseys can be replaced. Face masks, helmets, whatever can be replaced. But you know, if a kid loses function of their, you know, their, their lower extremities because of a neck injury, or if there's something serious, like, you know, that's, that's a person inside that uniform and stuff. So their comfort and their uh, injury situation is always more important than, than whatever we have money wise on, on the field. So. Absolutely. I think, you know, something else that's important to point out is, you know, as an athletic trainer, I love injury prevention because that'll actually uh, lessen my workload uh, a lot if we keep guys healthy and out on the field. And equipment managers, if if you, it's really important to build a good relationship with your equipment staff and and work together to, you know, help and make sure um, different things are fitted properly. Or if you see something, now look, I'm an athletic trainer. I know a little bit about equipment. But the equipment managers I work with, they know, you know, it's, it's, it's their room. It's their show. They know how to fit a helmet, fit a shoulder pad, whatever. But if you see different uh, trends or something that you're worried about, it's really cool to have a, and good to have a relationship with an equipment manager where you can just go up to them and say, hey, what do you think about this? This is we've had this many concussions this year. They could you kind of look and see how many which helmets did they use? What was the chin strap like? Um, you know, not that you're blaming the equipment staff on concussions, right. not that you're blaming the equipment staff on AC joint, uh, sprains. Um, it's, it's a contact sport that happens, but, it, you know, to work with the equipment staff and, and kind of be a cohesive unit and pull the, uh, rope in the same direction, it's really good to have a good, strong, um, relationship with them. Well, there's always new technologies coming out, and we're always trying to buy it because we want to get the best thing for our student-athletes. But if, I mean, Riddell just released a new helmet. We've covered it on here. We're not knocking them. We're not making this claim, but I'm just using it as an example because it's the newest thing. But if we put our guys in that this spring and every one of the guys that we put in it gets a concussion, if I don't have a relationship with the training staff, they're not – I mean, obviously I can tell when a guy gets concussion if he's pulled off, but if they're not communicating concussions to me – and noticing those trends with me, if we're not having open dialogue, we're just going to keep buying stuff that's not protecting the athletes. So it's good to know as things come up and, and as guys are getting hurt all the time, we were having this discussion this week. Hey, where are most of our concussions coming from? Here's the guys, what are they wearing? So it's, it's good to, to have those conversations so that we can both identify those trends and, and change kind of how we do things going forward. And those are the conversations we've been having this week. It's an off season type deal, but it's, it's good to do. And and so you, you, Joey's right. Don't see it as an attack, but if you're buying one particular shoulder pad and you've been buying only that shoulder pad and you have an insane amount of AC joints, maybe you need to do something different with those shoulder pads. Yeah. I mean, no uh, fitting properly. And maybe it's just that particular style of shoulder pad there's something wrong with it. Or, you know, when I was, when I was at Cincinnati, we had a handful of guys get foot injuries come to find out that it was the shoes and that somebody with three stripes was making that ended up not having a great foot plate and the foot plate was causing those problems. And they knew they remedied the situation. They got us some shoes that, that were better for our players, but you know, it goes down the line. But what I was, I was saying earlier when we were talking about, essentially cutting equipment off of, of players. I had a student athlete compound fracture in his, in his forearm 
in the middle of a playoff game, FCS level. This was at Richmond, and I have had, and Joe's nothing against you, I had the best athletic trainer in the world, and she came to me after everything happened and talked to me. They were about to cut the jersey off the kid and cut his shoulder pads off so that he could go in for an x-ray. And she came to me and she goes, I am so sorry. We had to cut the jersey off. But I will tell you this. They were about to cut it off and they grabbed right at the center of the jersey and they were about to like cut up right between the numbers. And she goes, no, 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 stop. Please cut up the seam. <laughs> and they literally cut up like the seam of the jersey, like up the side. And like, I just, I laughed, I gave her a hug and I was like, you're amazing. You're awesome. And it's just like little things like that just make me laugh because honestly, she had no, like she didn't need to do that. And like, we were obviously more concerned for the health and and safety and well being of the player. But when you have a good relationship with your, with your ATCs, like it, it makes a difference. And she was like, no, no, no. And she was like, I thought you'd be so mad. I thought you'd be mad. And I was like, Honestly, I don't care about the uniform. I was like, is the kid all right? And she was like, well, they yeah. set the arm. It's it's pretty bad. But like, yeah, yeah that's what so she told me. You said, it was, you said it was an upper extremity injury? Yeah. So that she's a great athletic trainer. See, if I was that, I would probably have cut the shoe off as well. Just <laughs> while we're at it. That's... I would have told me. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> the joke, the running joke is this year we had um, – we had two cases where guys broke their legs and their, their uh, jerseys and shoulder pads were cut off. Um, it, it seems crazy. It's funny. We joke about it a lot, um, much to our athletic training department's um, dismay. <laughs> we make a lot of jokes about it. But uh, the fact of the matter was the kids were in excruciating pain and they had to go and they were going into surgery. So those things were going to have to be removed. And it was like, just cut it off. The quickest way is to just cut it off. So we're not trying to like get this tight fitting jersey that's soaking wet with sweat and everything off. Just just cut it off. So it was. But it's funny. It's like, yeah. Yeah. If they broke an arm, (laughs) cut the shoe off. Broke an arm, cut a shoe off. (laughs) That's exactly. Yeah. But I give them a lot of grief for it because I didn't real I didn't even think about it, and then they came and brought it back to me, and it's this jagged cut jersey, and I was like, well, he broke his leg, guys. <laughs> well, I also I have a bone to pick with trainers whenever you guys spat people's cleats because let's be honest, that really honestly doesn't provide that much support. Oh. When no. Guys, when guys use a shark to cut that off and slice half mm-hmm. their cleat apart, I'm just like. Maybe if you didn't spat your cleat, I wouldn't have to yeah. give you new cleats no, all the time. That's that's something that I absolutely hate. I hate spatting. Uh, I don't think that there's really a place for it. Uh, I don't think it. You're right. I don't think it gives you much support. And two, uh, you know, when you do actually have a big ankle injury, let's say God forbid somebody dislocates their ankle, you know, you got to cut that off before you can really do anything. I, I don't. I don't like. I don't like spatting. I'm. I'm with you. It's aesthetic. Um, that's all it's about. Yeah, it's just it's aesthetic. all about. It's a TV tape job. That's what it is. Yep. Does it look better, uh, or not look better? Do, do you think ankle braces serve a better purpose, or would you say just don't do it at all? Taping's better. I, yeah, I, I like I, me me per, me. I like taping uh, better. That's a big debate. What what's better, taping an ankle or a brace? I think you know it's acts as the same thing, but putting tape over your shoe doesn't really do a whole lot for you. If a guy, if a guy has a, a you know a mild ankle sprain mid game, would you spat it or would you take the cleat and sock off? If he has ankle tape on and re, would you retape or would you just spat over top to try to create a little bit more, essentially pressure there to keep swelling down? Yeah, if we were, if we were, uh, I guess it would depend on. Uh, you know, if, if we're going into halftime or if he had just came off the field and we need to get him back out there the next play, uh, you know, I think it just depends on the timing. But definitely, you know, when you get to a point where you can, I like to just remove everything, cut it all off and just start fresh. Trust me, I, I understand that completely. It's that's something from, you know, the, the all the different schools I've worked at. Pretty much every trainer hates ankle spat because. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it, it, there is, there's no actual support there. You're not doing anything to actually help the ankle. Well, the brands don't like it either because it covers our logo. It covers the brand, but it also kind of 
affects the way the the that plate, the bottom of that cleat, interacts with the turf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it's that's I just I was curious about your opinion on it just because I you know from from different conversations I've had different people I it's hate it because it, it, like you yo and I mean yeah your guys will inevitably cut through half of a cleat at that point or the top if it's like a mid you know something with a little bit higher ankle support yep. they're gonna cut into that cleat inevitably the shoelaces get cut off all the time yes. And it's very very or full of shoelaces. And Nike makes it a lot of fun to uh, to put new shoelaces in their new cleats that have <laughs> have fabric over the top of them. Yeah, like the, basically they're like a soccer cleat now. They look like a soccer cleat. Yeah, pretty much. Soccer cleat with a little different foot plate. Pretty much. But yeah, but that's all I got. Yeah, this, I mean we're we ran a little longer in this this second half, but. Yeah, no, it's it's been a lot of fun, and, and we still, you know, we have the ideas floated out there. We just need to, you know, get it get it going of, you know, maybe we do the Hot Takes podcast where we just let Sean come on with, with all of us and uh, in the equipment room and training room and just let him say something stupid that just sparks a massive debate because that's basically what happens yeah. every day in the training room. I mean, if the we, kid we, has <laughs> the worst takes ever. ever. Uh, they're, they're just very uh... – controversial to say it best like how did you come up with that like i'll give you one of the examples i know we use cincinnati as a top tier program you know i guess that can be debatable that they're going to get there one day but baker mayfield is an actually good quarterback what are you talking about his record is worse than mitchell trubisky (laughs) yes it's it's current current he's identical to Jameis. yeah honestly like he has He's had a actually honestly a pretty solid defense around him, and he had the past three or four years arguably a top three running back in football yeah. and one of the best receiving cores in football and still sucks yeah yeah, he, yeah. No, he's, I mean, had, he's, like, what's, he's been a, he's been there what three years or four years four I think four years and he's had two good seasons guy sucks. He's had one playoff win, yeah. but the, the, the one, <laughs> yeah, well, the one today too was, was good was, uh, he said that the Joker is the best villain in any comic book movie, like story ever just said the Joker is the best villain. doesn't matter now. And this is nerdy. I get it, but we were just, we just love to pick at this kid and get it going. But it was, if Thanos walks into the training room, or the Joker walks in the training room and you have to fight one, which one are you going to fight? He says he's going to fight the Joker. But the Joker's a better villain and he's more scared of him. So I don't, I don't, you know, it's things like that that you just, you, you, all you have to do, you can agree with him. Just contradict him. And he will go for hours. <laughs> and it will go in 20 different directions. You'll end up with, you'll start on Baker Mayfield, then you'll go to Cincinnati, and then today at we we started on the Joker and Thanos, and it turned into Derek Jeter is better than Babe Ruth, Chipper Jones, and Ted Williams. Wrong. And, and I mean, this is the direction it goes. And so you look at the time, and you're like, I can't beat in here anymore. It's been three <laughs> hours. Uh, not really, but almost. But I hope he's listening no. because I need to talk to him. It's the it you yeah. no that'll not absolutely cry. He'll cry if you talk to him. But it's the Hot Takes podcast, and it'll frustrate all the listeners and everyone in the country that uh, listens to it will hate Sean Adams. So it might need to happen. Yeah, but we, we love him, though. Deep down, we love him. Oh, for sure. He's the youngest in the in in our, our equipment and athletic training family, so we just have to give him hell. He's our, he's our baby. And Pat just 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 hates him without even knowing him. Just immediately hates him because that's I, mean, I can't remember what what I mean. I think the Baker Mayfield thing happened when you and I were like FaceTiming one day. Yeah, and I was just like, "Are you out of your mind?" Yeah, that was that. Was, we were having a house party over here, and he was here, and I said some of his stuff just to get him riled up with uh, Patrick on FaceTime, and 
thought it was I thought they were gonna jump through the phone and go at each other. That was pretty fun. I mean, he's not even like top fifty percent of quarterbacks in football right now. <laughs> yeah. I agree. But yeah. But no, this was great. It's National Athletic Training Month. Equipment guys out there, do what I did. Go buy some donuts for your athletic training staff. Take care of them. They tell they'll take care of you. When a kid gets an injury in his foot, they won't blame the the equipment manager or the cleat. They'll just say the kid's fat. Take take care of take care of your athletic trainers, and they'll take care of you. So it's it's athletic training month. We appreciate y'all. You tape jockeys, you water boys. You guys are great. And uh, and yeah. Well, I just want to say, uh, Patrick and and Scott, I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, having a voice for the athletic trainers. I think you know, equipment managers and your listeners, I, I really encourage you to reach out to your um, athletic trainers. I know some of us can be weird and quirky, but it's really important to have a really good solid relationship. And if there's any athletic trainers out there that are listening, like I uh, listen to this podcast time to time, I, I, I think it's important to really uh, build that good relationship and realize that, you know, we're all in this together and, and pulling the same rope together. And when you spend that amount of time uh around each other you might as well have a little bit of fun doing it too so i appreciate you guys having me on yeah man thank you for coming out i appreciate it app sucks go her 15 and 9 <laughs> see you next was, week that was how you stop it that was how you stop the recording was app sucks go hurt 15 and 9 we'll see y'all next week see ya